Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Wayne, yeah. what do you think about Austin? This is awesome. Going to college here. You're going to college here? <laughs> love Buckeye Nation since I was 8, 9, 10 years old, so um. To, to receive that ovation from them, to know how much uh, they, they value me as a player, and uh, to know that how much work I put in is to be in the spot just to go to school here. I'm really just blessed. And where did Simba come from? So growing up, I had the big, big afro. So my mom would comb my hair like, yeah, you look like a lion. Like, well, I like Simba. Like, we'll call you Simba now. So just that, and then just the story behind him growing to be king and going through adversity and then, you know, having a fall to get up. And um, that's just something that I... Probably resonates with my story because you know everything everyone sees the highs of everything but not what it took to get there so uh, that's just another why uh, why I like that a lot Dwayne Haskins died Saturday at the age of 24 in an automobile accident in South Florida it was just one of those moments that pops through everyone's bubble who pays any attention to football it's a tragedy. It's unimaginable for his family. He was younger than my son. I kept thinking about that all day. I spent the day with my son, which is rare when your child is 25. We had a family outing to go visit our new great nephew. So I was around my son all day. So it was a constant reminder. Dwayne Haskins was younger than my son. And I can't imagine what his parents must be feeling. I can't imagine what his friends, his family, his teammates must be feeling. But it was a, a stunner. And there aren't a whole lot of words, Chris, but I wanted to start the show with it today because it was something that I don't think could wait. It needed to be addressed. It's a horrible situation for the NFL, and anyone who follows the league pays attention to the league. It was a shock that a lot of people are still going to be processing as the week unfolds. Yeah, I mean, no question. Um, yeah, one of those you know moments you have you know, every so often where it's just you hear news and – your heart sinks, and you just got a pit in your stomach to go, oh, my gosh, how could that happen? You know, it just you, the, that's the first thing you wonder. Wait, you know, the first thing I thought of was Dwayne Haskins with just that, you know, the baby face, that perfect smile he has. I really did. Thinking, man, he just seemed like such a good kid. 
Um, and then you go in through how does that even happen? How do you get hit by a car? Oh, my gosh. So young, so much life in front of them. You know, a kid that got some Jersey roots. Of course, that hit home with me as well, you know, being from New Jersey as well. So all of it, it's just, uh, yeah, it's, it's as a father, as an ex-football pl- uh, player, you know, as a friend and a human being. It's one of those when it hits you, you look at the phone, you look up, and you just go like, oh, my gosh. And then you tell your wife, that's what I did. Danielle, I was like, Danielle, I mean, Dwayne Haskins died. Like, you know, and just it was just like, what, how? And, you know, then it just becomes it takes over your life for a little while. Um, so it's a shame. And uh, RIP to him. And, uh, yeah, thoughts and prayers go out to his family for sure. We're on our way to Columbus. It's about a three-hour drive. And stopped to get gas before we pulled out of town and, Got back in the car, and somebody from another team had texted me that there was chatter that someone from the Steelers had died on Friday night. And I, I, I had to drive. I wasn't going to try to figure it out. I told my son, and you know, I don't, within 10 minutes, he just kind of blurted out, oh, my God, it was Dwayne Haskins. And yeah. it's one of those things that you're never going to forget, the moment, the circumstances, the the weekend, the reaction. It's it, it, and, and it, it's a confusing situation. He was on Interstate 595. Police say he was attempting to cross westbound lanes, and there was oncoming traffic, and he was struck by a dump truck. And it's just horrible to think about his final moments. Uh, and we, we got to see the reaction play out on Saturday and Sunday. A lot of poignant statements from teammates, coaches, Chase Claypool's comment, I think, really, for whatever reason, spoke to me. It was very simple. It was very short, but it just kind of reached into my chest and pulled my heart out. I spent your final moments with you, and I can't help but think about how selfless you were in those moments. All you cared about was making sure that every round, everyone around you was okay, and I can't thank you enough for that. You are what I strive to be. And just because we didn't see Dwayne Haskins play much last year, if at all, other than in the preseason, that, that he, you know, he was a part of that team. He was part of the present, potentially part of the future for the Steelers. He was working. He was developing. And he was their teammate. He was their friend. And uh, regardless of what line of work he was in, anytime something like this happens and we see a life end with so much still in front of it, that's what that's what hurts. And we're experiencing, experiencing it because it's happening within – the broader bubble of what we do and what we cover. These tragedies happen all the time, all walks of life, all industries, all across the country. But when it's kind of close to you, that's when it hits home. And for football fans, for Steelers fans, for anyone who follows the NFL and remembers he was 15th pick in the draft in 2019, a recognizable name, instantly recognizable name. It, it, it just, it throws you for a loop. It knocks you off balance and, you know, I've spent two days trying to process it, and I didn't know. I don't. I don't remember whether or not we interviewed him in the run-up to the 2019 draft because we talked to so many different of these guys coming into the process. I'm not sure that we did. No. I remember we met with Kyler Murray at the Super Bowl that year, um, but uh, it it just it it, it it's, it's just one of those things where it takes time for everyone to process, and for his for his family, no amount of time. Is, is going to make it right. That's what I keep coming back to, that video that we played at the top. I must have watched that thing 5,000 times on Saturday night. I was hypnotized by it because it was 2008. He had just turned 11. 
and it just it, full of wonder and magic. And he's in the Ohio State locker room. This is awesome. I'm going to go to college here, and he did. And um, it's just just a strange couple of days. And I keep thinking about his family. I keep thinking about his teammates. And uh, hopefully they'll all find peace eventually, somehow, some way. The most peace that they possibly can find. Because I'm not sure that you find total peace after something like this happens. Yeah, it's gut-wrenching. I mean, it tears your heart out with stories like this. Uh, you know, you just, you know, a young kid, again, a million-dollar smile. You know, you know, you know he's got a good heart and a good way about him. Uh, living in, you know, even though his football career wasn't, like, going exactly how he wanted, still living a great life and, like, wow, there's so much potential for life in front of you. There was all of that. You know, we, we know the kid had you know, big-time talent coming out of Ohio State. And even last year during training camp, we talked about Mike. Like, Remember, like, man, Dwayne Haskins looks good. Maybe this is the right move for him. Wow, his arm. I mean, there was a lot of special things to talk about. It is. It's hard to process it, especially with somebody that young. I think me as a father, and not that I have anybody that age, but I have a 15-year-old, and you, you get to that range like you're talking about with your son at that age, it just it hits you, it hits you hard because you just realize how fragile life is and you know, how much he'll be missed, how much life he's going to miss. And then I think what adds to it is like, you know, we know a you know, smart young kid down there working in Florida, doing all these things. But the story itself, I think, is what makes it hard to process as well. I think that's the, the other thing on top of it. Because you know, I don't know if anything came out more in the last 24 hours. But you know, I've been there in that area, right, where he's crossing the highway near Fort Lauderdale Airport. I mean, I just can't help to think, too, like, what, what was going on? Why were they crossing the highway? What the hell was going on, too? And I think that's what makes it even worse is just the, you know, the unknown about the events that led up to it, let alone the horror and the tragedy that happened, you know, eventually there. That, that's where it, it still is, like, confusing, I think, to all of us. Yeah, it gets thrown into that that overall bucket of yeah. of just – Anxiousness, about this angst, whatever, right? Yeah, yeah. Right. yeah it, it the the fact that he's gone is tragic enough, and then you have this confusing set of circumstances that gets added to it, and it just it makes it harder to process process because you feel like there's still more out there that we're waiting to find out, and there right. may be answers right. that we never get. It may just be that's what it is, and everyone has to try to move forward, picking up the pieces. I want to go back to the run-up to the 2019 draft, because I remember when it didn't work out for him in Washington. We talked about this a lot last week as it related to the 2018 draft class, about how where you land dramatically influences your career sure. as a quarterback in the NFL. And you don't get to pick your team. They pick you. And I remember when it didn't work out for him in Washington, the knee-jerk reaction by many was, well, he was just an absolute and total bust. This proves it. No, no, no. This wasn't some crazy decision by Washington to take a guy that people regarded as a seventh-rounder. He was widely regarded as a first-round prospect in 2019. And for whatever reason, it didn't work out in Washington and it may not have been his fault. It may have been the organization's fault. We spend a lot of time talking about how dysfunctional that team has been over the course of the past decade plus. And I just can't help but wonder. I remember when the Steelers acquired him, Chris. I right. thought, here, this, here, here we go. 
the Steelers see something and the Steelers are going to bring it out of him and he's going to become the guy that we all thought he was going to be in 2019 and it was just a matter of time and for all we know that was still percolating Mike Tomlin may have had a long-term vision in mind for Dwayne Haskins and that part of it also we'll never know the answer to what he could have become and that's what makes it even more of a tragedy because yeah he was a work in progress we're all a work in progress but especially at that age you are clearly finding your way and he still had a chance to find his way in football to the field, to a starting role right. for a team that is looking right now for someone to take that mantle. And we, I remember breaking down his, his film with you three years ago, and yeah. we saw similarities to Ben Roethlisberger. Right. And we saw a guy who could move around with a big arm, and he needed some polish. He needed some time. And sometimes... You know, in today's NFL, for every guy that that figures it out right away, sometimes it takes a little while, and that's okay. And he was in the process of figuring it out, and that's just what makes it. It, it just it it. There's a feeling of incompleteness yeah, about exactly. this, and it's going to happen whenever someone that age goes. But th- there were many chapters left, many many chapters left in his book. Uh, in all aspects of his life, and particularly football, and I think that's what makes it even harder for a lot of people to process yeah, if that I, makes any yeah. sense at all. No, I, I think you're right. I think that's 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 kind of how I feel too. I think there's a lot of feelings there that you explained really well that are definitely going through my body. And and anybody you talk to with Dwayne Haskins as far as, yes, came out of college, only played one year, you know, he was one of the youngest, if not the youngest guy in the draft, if I remember correctly. At least it was up there. I think that was part of the reason maybe he fell out of the top five a little bit or whatever. His teams got scared of that. I agree with you. And the fact that, hey, I mean, yes, where you go, where you land, is the rest of the organization bought in on you? Does that determine your success factor as a first-round pick or any round pick? Of course it does. And what did we hear, too? Let's go back to that time of the draft. He got drafted by Washington. There was a lot of rumors that that staff at that time, I think it was Jay Gruden was the head coach, right? That They weren't really, you know, the fans of Dwayne Haskins. He wasn't their guy. They were Daniel Jones guys, right? Remember, there was that whole thing, too, just to speak to your point, to go, you know, there was – a dysfunctional organization that made a weird dysfunctional pick at 15 where it sounds like not everybody was bought in. So that did not help. And, of course, is not going to help a guy that, yes, is young already and now going to a team that's got issues and then half the staff is bought in and you know somebody in the front office is bought in and then there's other guys that are not. That's not going to help the development process. You know, goes to Pittsburgh. We saw we saw a little what we liked or what we thought he could be last year. And anybody you talk to with Dwayne Haskins, I think there was two things that always came up to me with with that. One, it was the smile. The smile was always like, oh man, his smile it just it's it, it makes you want to smile with them and laugh. Always heard that. And then when when people would see him throw in person. You know, despite what you think about a quarterback or whatever else, but people would come away from Dwayne Haskins and go, man, I mean, it's it's spiral. It spins. It flies through the air. You know, I think it was he was one of those guys that kind of had a wow arm or a wow talent that way. And I think that's, to, to your point, Mike, what kind of feels un- incomplete or leaves that, that pit in your stomach to, uh, to this short, abrupt end to, to his life. As to the throwing arm, Ben Roethlisberger said on social media over the weekend, I'll say it again, just like I told you to your face, I still wish I could throw the ball like you. Yeah, see, so. there you go. I didn't even see that, and I, but that, yeah. that's there you go. See, that's what, I heard that a lot from people. 
really. It was always, oh, man, when you see him throw, though, it's special. And Big Ben, he knows what a special arm looks like. I think back to Eli Manning in 2004. He didn't refuse to play for the Chargers because he didn't want to live in San Diego. He sensed when he visited that there was disagreement as to whether or not the organization wanted him. And there were a lot of disagreements between the GM, A.J. Smith, and the head coach, Marty Schottenheimer, at the time. And Eli sensed it, and he didn't want to be part of that. And he took a stand to avoid that. And right. by the time you get to the 15th pick in the draft, as you're sliding and you're you're wondering when the phone is going to ring, all you want is for the phone to ring. It doesn't matter where. It should. At the time, you're not thinking of that. And the possibility that Dwayne Haskins landed with an organization that was split on whether or not he was the guy they wanted, that contributes to the ultimate outcome. It's not on the player. And we. this isn't some new discovery that we've had. You've heard this from us many times before, as recently as last week. Quarterbacks especially, their careers are so driven by where they begin them. Who is coaching? Who is running the team? Who else is there to help the development? What other players are there? If you have nothing else, it doesn't matter how good you are. And it all happens very quickly. The game's come and go in three-hour increments. Narratives develop like that. And it's I, – I don't want to say it's not fair. I don't know what's fair or not fair in that context. It just is. That's what happens. And some guys land in a perfect spot, and it works for them quickly, and some guys don't land in a perfect spot. And there were few spots more imperfect in 2019 than the Washington football team. We know that. We accept that. We right. can agree. At a time when people can't agree on many things in this country, I think we can agree that Washington was dysfunctional, as dysfunctional as any team in 2019. So it's hard to, it's hard to pass final judgment on what Dwayne Haskins could have been. And right. that is where some of the emptiness comes from me. He had still... A lot in front yeah. of him, and it still could have gone in a much different way. And we would have forgotten all about his first stop if his current stop had resulted in him playing and, and becoming that successor to Ben Roethlisberger that they're currently looking for. Well, it just feels yeah. – again, it would feel incomplete no matter what he did right, right. because he was only 24. But as it relates to this context of football, it makes it feel even more incomplete. It does, and I think what where we're getting to here, and what you you know, banner statement, headline statement here. I mean, here's here's what it is about the potential of Dwayne Haskins, and let's not forget this. You know, big, we see what Big Ben said there, but Ohio State, Urban Meyer, Ryan Day, all those guys there. You know, and I know Urban Meyer, yes, it's not the best year in the world you know, in his life to bring him up, but they've been around a lot of good football and a lot of good quarterbacks and players. They thought Dwayne Haskins was the guy over Joe Burrow. And that just speaks to, I think, not again, not a bad mistake or anything. It speaks to Dwayne Haskins' talent because Joe Burrow, as we know, is one of the five best quarterbacks in football and got a strong arm and is a phenomenal athlete, and they went the Dwayne Haskins route. So that in itself speaks, you know, volumes in the fact that, yeah, there's obviously some real talent. I'm not saying he's Joe Burrow or whatever else, but there was enough there for people to go, well, yeah, we kept Dwayne. Of course we did. I mean, look at Dwayne Haskins throw lasers all over the field. 
And I, and I think that's, you know, what we're talking about here. Because, yeah, rough start, young, bad team to get drafted by, never really got things going in the right direction. And it just would have been nice to know, you know, where the story would have ended up and what he could have done with that, that potential he had with the, the gift at quarterback in his right arm. We've got several stories at profootballtalk.com with reactions from coaches and teammates, and we're still on the lookout for more. And I'm just looking for things that – articulate what I'm feeling or maybe just address it in a way that resonates with me. I've, I've just been kind of a jumbled mess about the whole thing. Uh, and I, and, and it's, I, I, I say, I want to say, I don't know why. And that just adds to this overall sense of confusion. It is a life cut way too short. It is a man who was a child not that long ago. You think about 2008. For those of us who are adults, you know, when you're a kid, 14 years yeah, it's a long time is a ago. lifetime. Right, right. But once you settle into who you are as an adult, the years start to fly by. And 14 years ago wasn't that long ago. And he was just a little boy who was happy. And I see that then and you still see that. Like, I still see the little boy in my son today. That's what gets me. Even mm-hmm. when the child grows up, the child's still there. And I think that's what's going to make it so hard, especially for his parents who were with him every step of the way. And, yeah. um, I mean, my heart's broken for many of the people connected, for all of the people connected to Dwayne Haskins. But I, I think of the parents at a time like this, and it's just my own perspective because yeah. my son – I, I, I remember going through the age where, hey, these football players are all starting to be younger than me. That's right. kind of a weird feeling. Right. And now it's a really weird feeling when a hell of a lot of them are younger than my son. And uh, I think that's one of the reasons why, frankly, as, as my son got older, I started to have a better perspective on what these kids go through. Yeah. From my perspective, that's what they are. And they're yeah. still learning. Their brains are still formulating they're still growing and they get thrust into this billion dollar industry and you know it's not the easiest thing in the world and that's why there's been so much talk about mental health in recent years deservedly so you're making some pretty big adjustments and you're operating on a pretty high wire with no net when you get thrown into the NFL and all these people out there who resent how much money you're making and there's full transparency on how much money you're making and people know all these things about your life and they can speak to you directly on social media they can insult you they can harass you they can cuss at you they can threaten you on social media I can't imagine being 21 22 years old and carrying all that around and dealing with all of that and 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 there there would surely be times where you gotta ask yourself I don't know this isn't all what it's cracked up to be yeah, well, it's not always. You're right. I mean, everyone just sees, you know, the great stories and, you know, the NFL, the ones where, you know, everything worked out great. But, yeah, this was a story that, you know, there was there was some bumps in the road. No question. And I think, you know, you kind of laid it out perfectly, what you got to go through. Added to the, all the things we talked about, a young guy, you know, yes, young, one of the youngest in the draft, quarterback, only played one year, organization, you know, not that great in Washington, Okay, they got their issues, and then you add in, you know, young guy. Now you get to his life and what he's dealing with. That's a very real thing. You're you're put in a position that nobody can prepare you for. It's not it's not possible. No matter how many ex players or agents or moms and dads talk to you, all of a sudden, yes, you're expected to to be the answer, the guy for an organization. You're getting money. 
You got people talking to you and coming at you in different angles that you, you've never dreamed about. You don't even know how to handle all of it. It can be overwhelming, and we can be very critical of these young kids at times, and that's what they are. You're right. They're young kids for the most part. I was one of them at one point, too. Thought I knew everything at 22 and 23 years old. And then look at it now and go, damn, you were dumb as crap, and you knew almost nothing. Um, so it's, it's a learning curve, and you're right. Not everybody kind of approaches it, goes through it at the same pace. Um, and that's just what stinks about, about this case, this case right here. It's a guy that just seemed like a really good kid. He had talent and we're never going to know how he was going to wrap up his life story here and where it was going to go. And that's a shame. It's one of the blessings and curses of living a long time. The longer you live, the more you realize how dumb the things were that you did when you were young, but it equips us with the ability to have empathy and or sympathy for the mistakes being made by the kids who are still finding their way through life. And it's not nearly as glamorous, glitzy, and cushy as you think it is when you have a life in the NFL because uh, there's a lot of downside that we don't spend a lot of time talking about. And, you know, the fans, frankly, don't want to hear about it. They just want to be entertained by football players. And I'm not saying that's wrong. That's one of the reasons why the money's there for so many of them. It's why people are interested in the sport. They want to watch the games. But we need to remember at all times that underneath the helmet, inside the pads, are human beings no different than the rest of us. They live normal lives. They have family and friends and issues and struggles. They are no different than the person next door to you they they have the same motivations and fears and concerns as your children do as you did once upon a time and we just need to I'm not saying we need to spend all of our time thinking about football players as human beings but it would be nice if we all spent some of our time thinking about it because I fear that some spend no time taking a step back and viewing them as anything other than commodities interchangeable parts in a football machine, pieces that we own on our fantasy teams, and now players who create frustration for us because on our phone we picked their team to win by five and a half points and they didn't because of that guy, and I'm going to be mad at that guy, and I'm going to say something nasty about that guy and his family on social media because I lost 25 bucks. We just need to be willing to take a step back and remember that that these are human beings, not robots fashioned in a lab for our entertainment they are just people and we need to we we need to factor that into how we view the sport not enough people chris do that i believe no i mean i, I that that's that's for real you're that there's no doubt about that and i think uh yeah um, it's 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 not easy they are treated like players are treated like commodities i've seen in my whole life whether it was my father or myself that is part of it and I don't think uh, – I mean, I agree with you. I don't think the general public really knows exactly what's going on behind the scenes, and I don't think a lot of the times the general public respects where a lot of these players come from and what they've had to deal with to get where they are and how the deck was stacked against them to get where they are and they still got there. Um, but, yeah, I think it's it's one of those things where I think we could all do that in this country for a lot of different subjects. 
put yourself in someone else's shoes and think about what they have to go through and what their life's like a little bit. Uh, we've become a little too immediate response, immediate reaction. What have you done for me right now? And it feels like we've kind of lost that touch in, so- in society. I'll be thinking about Dwayne Haskins and his family and his friends and teammates a lot in the coming days. I'll definitely be thinking about Dwayne on May 3rd. That's the day he would have turned 25, gone at 24. Uh, We're going to take a break. We're going to regroup. And when we return, we'll talk about the things happening in the National Football League. That's why you're here. And that's why we're here. So we'll we'll focus on that. But I, I, Chris, I, I wanted to, I felt like we needed to start with with this because I think we all have something to process if we care at all about football we care about the men who play it we all have something to process with this so let's go ahead and take a break and uh, we'll pivot to NFL issues when we return more PFT live right after this JJ Watt across the pond hanging out with some of our friends who enjoy the program on Sky Sports no doubt Came across a fan who had J.J. Watt socks. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. J.J. Watt socks. J.J. Watt socks. Say that five times I didn't fast. know J.J. Watt socks were even a thing. Well, of course they Chris. are. No, you're just not cool. You don't have all the cool gear then. <laughs> I don't know. I guess not. <laughs> I guess I not. Guess not. Yeah. Uh, what, what, what is your face? on <laughs> nothing Piece of well, clothing. Well, yeah i mean why would anybody want my face on anything what have i done uh, you know other than talk to you so uh, it's not that good you know but i mean that's kind of cool i mean it really is it, it speaks to at least the star he might have been at one time he still is of course a big star but to just be walking around england and somebody's wearing socks on that your face is on i mean what are the chances you come across that person and i think that's pretty big time I guess that's what struck me. Yeah. Like, first of all, someone has to own J.J. Watt's socks, which is as random as it gets. Right. And then that person has to be in the same place as J.J. Watt at the same time. I just feel like the odds of that happening are minuscule. That doesn't occur. There's not a lot of people walking around with J.J. Watt's socks. It's not like Michael Jordan tripping into someone who has on Air Jordan shoes. <laughs> I mean, you know, the, these are JJ Watt yeah, socks. There, things I did not millions know. Millions of pairs existed. were not sold. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. So yeah I agree. That, the one pair it, it really of is. JJ Watt socks that is owned by someone in London, too. That's the other thing, too. This isn't Houston or Arizona. This is London. Someone in London is walking around with JJ Watt socks. That would be like someone here walking around with socks of some obscure random member of the Tottenham Hotspur, not obscure random, star player, star player. But regardless, star player here on the Tottenham Hotspur would basically be an average random football player. Like, who, who wouldn't even know who that is? Like, how many people in London know who J.J. Watt is? Yes, there is a core of very fervent, ardent, and zealous yes. NFL fans, right. but not many. 
No. Not many. No. Percentage-wise. No. I bet you they don't have a whole lot of guys that are 6'5 and a half, 290 with arms and legs jacked out of their mind walking down the street, though. So they're probably like yeah. a little bit like, who the hell is this guy? He's got to be doing something strong or something like that. So it, it's amazing. It, it really is. Mike, I had a I had a good little uh, run-in this weekend, too, where I got to like meet you know two two sports stars of the New York area that was like really cool just to throw it in because we wow. didn't get to talk the weekend a little. Went to a restaurant Friday and Saturday night. First night, Joe Torre was sitting right close by, which was like a huge deal for me because you know I'm a huge Yankees fan. Joe Torre, my high school years growing up, the Yankees, you know, that little dynasty there at the end of the night. I mean, that was so that was so cool to meet him in person and see him there. And then the next night at a dinner, man, and – Get to see Daniel Jones. It's Daniel Jones and got my little boy with me, so he got to meet Danny Dimes. So that was like the highlight of our weekend this weekend, a little New York sports heroes uh, at the dinner there. It was pretty cool. Let's start with Joe Torre. Yeah. Who, walk me through what happens. Do you so, go up to him? Does oh, he come I, I yes. You? You, you know, you send I'm, him a I'm, bottle I'm, of wine? You yeah. send him some 1942? I mean, what happened? <laughs> no, I didn't want to do that. But I got to the – I sat down, and he was two tables away, and I could kind of see his profile, and I was like, damn, that looks like Joe Torre. And I was like, oh, that can't be him, blah, blah, blah. And I, I look up again, and I'm like, man, that really looks like Joe Torre. And then finally I saw someone talk to him, and I was like, wait. So then I looked a little harder. And then I was with my wife and, and another couple, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, Daniel, I'm such a Yankees fan. You know I'm diehard. And I'm like, that is Joe Torre over there. So I was antsy and just itching to, like, I got to go say hi to him and say hi to Joe Torre. So when the kind of the night came to an end, I got up and went and said hello and you know, told him what a big fan I am of his. And then, you know, him and my father did a Bigelow tea commercial and thing together. So I felt like I could use that to say hi and all that and just let him know what a big Yankee fan I am. Did he know who you were? He did. He actually said, he goes, I really like your work. And so I was like, wow, thanks. I mean, he seemed like he at least knew that I talked about football on TV. That was good enough for me. That was good. I was good there. Yep. Um, did he seem at all annoyed? No, I, and I really, you know what? I'm like, I'm really sorry. I was like, I, I don't want to be this guy. <laughs> I don't, you know, I, I grew up, you know, sitting at I a hate, table. I hate, to, I hate <laughs> to bother you. Yeah. I hate to bother you. I hate you, to Mr. bother Stack. you. And do that? I used to have this happen to my father all the time, but I'm going to do this to you now too. And it's just the fan in me that came out. I couldn't help it. For anyone who has not heard the classic Warren Sapp story, which actually is shared in the early pages of Playmakers, as legend has. And I don't even know if this actually happened. I think this is is true. I think this is true. I've heard it from so many different people. Warren Sapp eating dinner. Woman comes up to him and says, I hate to bother you, but can I get an autograph? And he turns and he says to her, do you see any peas on my plate? And she's like, what? No. Do you you know why there are no peas on my plate? And I... By that point, she's got to be confused. Well, no, because I hate peas. So if you hate to bother me, why are you bothering me? <laughs> it sounds it sounds sapish for sure. I'll say that. I wouldn't doubt I have, that. <laughs> I have a feeling that he pro- – one of the reasons why it's something that I've heard so many times, I have a feeling it didn't happen more than once. No, probably not I have a feeling that was his go-to anytime anyone said to him, I hate to bother you. Well, he's uh, got some good one-liners, that's for sure. I know that from spending a yep. few years with him.
<laughs> By the way, we do have footage of Big Phil's Bigelow Tea commercial. I have a feeling I know. Oh, there he is. There's the old tea bagger. Look at the old tea bagger. Oh gosh. Uh, <laughs> and, oh wow. Well, uh, well yeah. done. Well yeah. done. That's the first thing I thought of yeah. when you mentioned Bigelow Tea. Hey, they they probably got more marketing value out of that moment than uh, the rest of them combined. Seriously, I know. So, what, a, what an amateur that guy is right there. But yeah, uh, Daniel Jones. So Daniel Jones, uh, I'm trying to remember what all you've said about Daniel Jones, whether he'd be aware of it. Was there any awkwardness there? Have no. you said Daniel Jones you know, isn't living up to snuff and he's not getting it done for the Giants? I can't remember. I've right? been pretty supportive of Daniel Jones. So I, I hope he knows that. I do. I, you know, I, I don't know if he knows that or not. I was not you know, the biggest fan of him coming out in the draft, but you know, I'm a Giants fan. And then, Mike, I think you've heard me say at least this offseason, I was one of those that, yeah, bring him back. You know, I do agree with the Giants. How do you know what he is? They've had the not, you know, not one of the worst offensive lines, the worst offensive line in football the last two to three years. Like, not maybe it is the the worst. Period. So I've been very supportive of him in that way. I see a lot of things to like about Daniel Jones, and I think the Giants do too. So, you know, hopefully he's heard that. Uh, I don't know. Either way, he's a very very nice young man. I mean, he's the guy that you want. You know, you know, your daughter to come home with. I mean, he's the he's perfect. You know, just that perfect poster child guy. That's what he is. And we're sitting outside a restaurant waiting to be sat down, and my little boy's sitting there, and I can see Daniel Jones walking up, and I'm like, oh my, oh Philip. And I go to my little boy, Philip. Oh man, look who's coming. He's all what? He's kind of mad we're at a restaurant anyways on Saturday night. It's ruining his Xbox, you know, extravaganza, extravaganza on Saturday night. So then he sees him and then it was the coolest restaurant ever and he had a great night from there on out. <laughs> who's taller, you or Jones? Uh, Daniel Jones is. Daniel Jones is. Wow. Yeah, he's a little, Daniel Jones is a big guy. Yes, he is. He and you know I'm pretty good size as well, but yes, big guy, couldn't be better, couldn't be nicer true professional so uh yeah that was a cool weekend did you get into the whole like how he holds a football two and five <laughs> over and all that stuff no i didn't get into that no get rid of the football a little faster how what's his grip what's uh, his grip he's uh yeah it's a good question i gotta think about that off the top of my head i think he's two and under five if i remember correctly but i gotta look that, that was up close i'll do that did i say two and five under yeah, two and under did. five i knew it was i knew it was words <laughs> like that i just wasn't quite sure how they went together our our our, our weekend included my first visit ever with my great nephew miles wow so uh, there it is. First baby I've held in 15 years. And let, let me tell you, let me tell you, when I got home, see where the baby's head is on my arm? Right. Macy went straight for that spot. Oh, yeah. And ran her nose up and down over and over like a vacuum cleaner. Like, what is this smell on the old man's arm. This is some new this foreign some smell new to me. Animal. And I've got to, I've got to figure out what dad was doing for three hours today. So that's what I was doing. I held that baby and I didn't want to give him up. Really cute. I, uh, Mike. I eventually had to, but uh, it's all up here. It's all uphill from here, baby. Miles, all uphill. They only get nicer and better looking after that one. There, it's all. It's everything's good from here on out. So life's yeah. good in front of he him. Didn't, he didn't. He didn't open his eyes much though. So good for him. He's, good for him. He's got he some knew. potential. Uh, you know, copy paste, copy paste, snarky comment at him. You think? You think he's got a little I in don't there? Know. It's a family business. We'll see. <laughs> yep. Nepotism's allowed when you own the business. So we'll see who all gets in and who doesn't get into the family business as they grow and develop. All right. Uh, something that Chris missed while he was on his hammock, even though his 
his feet are tan and his face is not. <laughs> uh, and he's got his pina colada. This was a big story on Friday. And look, I, I will always regard any type of affirmative scrubbing of social media pages as an act of significance because it takes effort to do it. And I know just every year changing the copyright year on the PFT Twitter page. Inevitably, after January 1, my son will say, you need to change your copyright year to the next year. And it's like, oh, I got to remember how to go in here and edit. And it's, you just have to stop and do it. So to go in and make changes, structural changes to your social media pages, it takes effort. So you don't just do it because you feel like doing it because you're bored on a Friday afternoon. You do it to send a message. And what's the context here? All these other receivers not named Debo Samuel making a ton of money as Debo Samuel goes in and sends a message to someone by scrubbing the 49ers entirely out of his social media page. Entirely gone. Poof. How can you not of course, immediately pivot to what is or isn't happening between the 49ers and a guy who they have transformed into a running back. Remember he told us at the Super Bowl he was surprised how that happened. It's yep. not like he came to the NFL saying, hey, I want to be a receiver and a running back. I want to do it all. They put that on him. It makes him more valuable. It puts him at greater physical risk. It puts him in a position where maybe the tread's going to be off the tires sooner than it otherwise would be because they're running him between the tackles. These aren't just jet sweeps and bubble screens. He's getting the ball like a running back. So he's more valuable in his mind. He hasn't gotten paid yet. And I don't think it's an accident. I don't think it's a, a, a fluke. I think he's sending a message by doing what he did late last week, Chris. I, I agree, Mike. I don't, I have no doubt about it. You know, one, I mean, you explained correctly to where to say that it takes time and effort. Two, you know, we've discussed a lot on this show already. I mean, you're at home with, you know, you know what, you got a 24-year-old kid. You know, I mean, I think it's, it's pretty safe to say, like, kids, you know, young men between 18 and 28, social media is how they can communicate. I mean, that's what they do. They don't even swap numbers sometimes. Just give me your handle. Give me this. Let me Snapchat you, blah, blah, blah. They text and do all that through there. Direct messages, all of it. So, yes, that's that means something. That, that, that's, there's no question about that for Debo Samuel. That That's a real message right off the bat. And then, you know, I agreed with you in the fact that yeah, it's going to be interesting. We've talked about this a lot. You know, over the last month and a half, haven't we, Mike? With Jimmy Garoppolo, his twenty-five or twenty-six million sitting on the books, Debo Samuel, the player he is, uh, Nick Bosa, the player he is. There, it's time. It's time to pay him. They're going to want to be paid, especially the way they play. To your point, they're both you know pedal to the metal, hairs on fire, let me run through the wall type of players. They're definitely going to want to be played paid that way. And then you get into the conversation of like, you know, again, Tyree Kill, awesome. Devontae Adams, awesome. I get that. But I don't know. Put me in the group that was raising my hands to go, uh, Debo Samuel, awesomer now in 2022. I'm taking him. He'd be the guy I'd take to go, whoa, wait, I could throw a slant to him and he can break a tackle and run a guy over and run for 70 yards, give him reverse, 70 yards, toss sweep between the tackles, whatever, like you talked about. You know, so he's a phenomenal skill set. He is arguably the number one weapon in football, in, in my opinion. It's him, it's Jamar Chase, it is Tyree Kill, you know, Justin Jefferson in that combo for me, dude. So that's where he's special. Then, Mike, I think you make the great point, too, about what he said at the, the Super Bowl. 
This is more than your regular receiver, which I think there's got to be a little more urgency probably on his side of that you know, conversation there because of what you're talking about. He goes over the middle a lot, and they throw him the ball in crowds of people. He takes a lot of big hits. He already plays a physical brand of style, and then he's playing basically running back, which we know is full of car crash hits. And then to triple effect on that, plays for a coach who's brilliant at getting his stars to football. And he rides them to his credit. I mean, you know, I'm not going to be mad at Shanahan for that. He rides it. He knows how to get his guys the ball. And let's go, 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 go. Well, it adds to your point too, Mike, of a little wear and tear on the tires too when you got a coach like that and does that. So I understand the urgency and the message from Devo Samuel. I certainly do. That's why it's all the more important for him to get paid now because if you wait a year and you continue to be used the way that you've been used – you are at greater risk of injury than if you're strictly playing receiver. You're at greater risk of chronic injury, not right. something serious that knocks you out for the balance of a season, but just those little things that it always felt like he was finding a way to fight through something, and he always found a way to do it. And you know what? If I'm him, I, I, I don't know that I necessarily hold out because – I think it's 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 too hard for a guy who wasn't a first round pick entering his fourth year. It's too hard to do that. But I think at some point you say, "I'm not playing running back until you get this taken care of." Yeah, I'll be a receiver. Mm -hmm. But but if if you're not going to get me a contract before the start of the fourth year, I am a receiver. I am not a running back. I no longer volunteer to play running back because you know you're, you're making the guy more versatile and more valuable to the team, but you're using him extensively. Yeah at a position where the market value isn't the same. Right. It's like, if I have to choose one of the two here, I'll just be a receiver. So if you want me to be this weapon that can be deployed all these different ways, let's get this taken care of now. I am receiver value plus to you. I am critical to you. Maybe you think you can find someone else who does what I do. Good luck trying. You have me. I've done well. The window is open for me to get paid. Here's where the market is gone. Yeah. Here's where the salary cap's going. Don't get mad at me because I want mine. I see all these other guys who aren't me getting theirs. I want mine. And if you think you can find somebody better, go for it. Until then, I want mine. He's perfectly justified in that. You know, Peter and I kind of went back and forth a little on Friday. Peter thinks he should be patient. I, I think that when the window's open in this era of the NFL Agreed and guys – who play the same position, yep. who aren't as good as you, are getting that kind of money, I'll just be patient. Bull crap to that. I'm done being patient. I'm done. They're all getting theirs. I want mine. Because I go out there every day, and I'm putting my body on the line. And, you know, he should not. He should not do anything. No. He should not set foot I on agree. the field. It should be the T.J. Watt situation. Until he gets his contract, I am not putting a cleat on my foot. Agreed. Agreed. You know, I, I don't like saying that, you know, because I'm a 49er fan and I like Kyle Shanahan, obviously. But I mean, if I'm going to put myself in Debo Samuel's shoes or if I was his agent, I would say the same thing. Uh, I, I really would. Uh, I'm with you there all the way. And I was going to say something off of what you said there. Um, but either way, you know, the, the, the thing and the value of the football player is the context of the touches, too. You know, it's 136 touches on the football last year. 59 carries, right? 77 receptions. But also, 
within that, of course, the 59 touches as a running back, you're taking big hits for the most part. And then we talked about their offense and the passing game. You know, Jimmy G's not famous for throwing the ball outside the numbers or down the field. So a lot of it's over the middle. Car crash type catches over the middle. He's got that aspect to deal with. And then when you just break it down and look at the pure talent, what the guy's doing, that's where you just go, oh my gosh. I mean, 59 carries, 6.2 yards per carry, eight touchdowns rushing the football. More impressive of the, the 1,400 yards receiving, 18.2 average yards perception. And again, the context here, everybody. This is a this is we're talking about an offense and a quarterback who can't throw the ball down the field all that well. Nobody's really that worried about down the field Jimmy Garoppolo pass attack. And it's 18.2 yards per catch. That's insane. So that's how awesome he is. He is one of those guys that can do a lot with a little. Screen behind the line of scrimmage, like in the Rams game in the NFC Championship. Breaks three tackles, breaks somebody else, outruns everybody for a 40-yard touchdown. That's special, you know. You, you just, you're not going to find a lot of guys like that. And I'm with you, Mike, to your point. He's, he's got to do it now. And the 49ers <coughs> need to get him taken care of, you know. And, and I, I remember a general manager telling me years ago that before you give a guy a big contract, you always got to be careful what you say publicly because that comes back to haunt you when it's time to pay the player. And I look at some of the quotes from Kyle Shannon. There was a yeah. moment in the playoff win over the Cowboys where Debo Samuel was heard by NFL Films telling Kyle Shanahan, give me the football. And Shanahan was asked about that in the week leading up to their playoff win over the 49ers. And he said, sometimes uh, someone telling me to get them in the ball doesn't mean anything to me. Sometimes it's just interesting to hear the words. But when Debo says, get me the ball, you watch how the guy runs. You know how much he means it. Debo is as real of a guy as I've ever been around, and he has a passion for this game that is making him one of the best players in this league. That's a quote that if you represent Debo Samuel, you print off, you laminate, to the extent they still have laminating machines. You make it an NFT, and you carry it around in your digital wallet, and you show it to Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch repeatedly. And... Look, I I have no problem with them telling the truth about their guy, but the point is those truths become quotes that will be. A smart agent will remind Kyle Shanahan. If they're at an impasse, if the 49ers are like, well, you know, you know how this offense works. We got a lot of guys that can run the ball. We got a lot of guys that can catch the ball. We can find cheap guys. You pull up that quote and you say you can't find many guys like this. And this is one of the realities of having great players. Debo Samuel, Nick Bosa, how many times have we said they got to figure out Jimmy Garoppolo because he's chewing up $25 million in cap space right now. You get rid of him, you got all the money you need to sign Debo Samuel and Nick Bosa. That, that that's Because right now they're under $2 million in cap space. Right. Jimmy G's gone. The moment he's gone, more than $25 million land on the cap. So the, to the extent they're getting pressure from Debo, and I think they are, and they're probably getting pressure from Nick Bosa. They got they better have a plan that it consists of offloading twenty five million in cap space that's currently under the name of Jimmy G, so they can get these two guys taken care of. Yes, yeah, yeah uh, agreed, agreed. I mean, well, we know how important he is to their football team, and I think from Debo Samuel's perspective, to everything we've laid out there, 
Yeah, where he's got to be extra careful is the fact that he plays a different brand of style than most wide receivers in football. He plays an extremely physical brand. He is the kind of guy that I would look at to go, yeah, I would I would worry four or five years from now. Like, it's not the same arc or career arc as a receiver, most receivers in football, where you go, okay, it's year eight or nine. They might not be quite as fast, but they're still good and all of that. You know, Debo, with the way he plays, yeah, like you've already discussed, the, the cumulative effect of all the big hits, the big shots, all of that, that's where, you know, it could, it could wear a guy down with the way Debo Samuel plays. So that, that's what's going to be interesting. He's a huge part of that offense, that's for sure, especially with the way I would think Shanahan wants to play with Trey Lance and the faking the speed sweeps and the reverses and the quick play action passes. That's where I would think Debo is – you know, got some power in this situation. But I think the other side of this story is, like we talked about a little too, and we're going to start to, I think, see what some of these teams really feel because uh, this is a new conversation I know that's going on in the NFL, and I know we texted a little about this yesterday, Mike, just in the fact that uh, I think there's, hey, some people in the NFL look at it like, hey, we got to have one of these receivers. These guys are great. We got to have one of these difference makers. And I know there's another part of the league that's going, what? I'm not paying $30 million or $27 million for receivers. That's just, I'm not buying into that. There's good ones coming out every year, like we talked about last week a little bit with the draft and stuff. We got good guys getting drafted third, fourth round. So there's going to be, you know, some teams that are into this and some teams that are not. And it's going to be interesting to see what Shanahan does here in this situation because he does have great ability to evaluate wide receivers too. It's the running back dynamic that is happening for the receiver position where there are many guys every year coming into the league who can play at a high level at the receiver position. But we still have veteran receivers getting a ton of money, I think in large part because their careers can last longer. They can perform at a high level longer than a running back who by the time he's 28 or 29, the, the horse is moving toward the barn. By the time... You know, a receiver is 28, 29. He's still in his prime. He's got multiple great years left. So we're seeing that that distinction between the Devontae Adams, the Tyree Kills, the Stephon Diggs getting huge money. But still, we know that there's going to be great receivers that teams find in the draft this year. Scott McLuhan, who was the general manager both of the 49ers and in Washington, had an interesting quote over the weekend of Mike Reese of ESPN. When you start throwing that money around, if it's a quarterback, I get it. If it's a pass rusher, I get it. Guys that are impacting games all the time. With a receiver, they're important, don't get me wrong, but a good defensive coordinator can take them out of the game plan. So now you're lucky if he touches the ball six to eight times a game. It's just who's going to impact the game the most. Here's why I disagree with McLuhan. And go look, go I ahead. I think yeah. I disagree with him. I mean, when you have that great receiver, he impacts the game every single snap. Because every play, you got to be aware of where he is. And if you're devoting extra resources to keep him from killing you, you're making it easier for the rest of your offense to operate. I, I would agree with you what you're saying there. I, I think it, th- th- that I, I, Scott McLuhan has a lot of great thoughts. I always like kind of what he says. He gives you great perspective. But that would be one there where I'd go, 2022, um, you know, you asked me in 2012, I might have had a different answer here. Now, no, it's different. There's there's different animals at receiver. We're seeing the freakiest of the freaky in the in our country playing that position. You know, like you said, 
It changes the game and dictates a lot of things. The way the rules are set up right now for the offenses, there's greater importance. And I think at the end of the day, too, you know, the biggest thing is you say six or eight touches, but I want to go, eh, I don't, you know, it it's really can be more than that, easily more than that this day and age in the NFL with the wide receiver position because of like what we're talking about here specifically with Debo. You get him the, the, the sweeps, the toss sweeps, the reverses, the speed sweeps, all of that, the screens. It's very easy to get these guys 10, 12 touches, let alone, like you're talking about, the attention that they get off of that. And, you know, I know there was this thing always of like, well, you know, a lot of Super Bowl teams, they didn't have great receivers. Well, I'm seeing some teams right now that did have great receivers that went to the Super Bowl. I mean, we're seeing three in a row. Cooper Cup, best receiver in football this year. Bam, Super Bowl winner. Year before that, I don't know, Mike Evans, Antonio Browns, Chris Godwin's receiver, kind of important to that Bucks team. Year before that, all right, Chiefs, Sammy Watkins, Tyreek Hill, receiver kind of important once again. So I, that's where I think the league has changed a little bit, and I do think the receiver, to your point, has more of an effect on the overall game than maybe some of the old guard is letting on. And both of those guys in that game, Tyreek Hill and Sammy Watkins, had a major impact on Huge. the outcome. Hill was the guy that helped them get the chestnuts out of the fire on that long play. Right, when it was on over, the third and done. Third 15. They're right. down 10. Right. And then Sammy Watkins ran by Richard Sherman. Exactly. In a key moment after that, right. as the Chiefs stole the game from the San Francisco 49ers, a game the 49ers should have won, and the receivers made the difference. Their quarterback does too, but quarterback can't do it alone. And to that point, if the 49ers really want to get the most out of Trey Lance, they better have. Debo Samuel, available. Not just when week one rolls around. You better have him there to work with Trey Lance. So Trey Lance has some comfort and some confidence as he sees what Debo Samuel can do in that offense as they practice and as they play together in the preseason. I have a weapon here that's going to tilt things in my favor. Gives me a little more confidence, especially if Debo Samuel acquires. They used to call it the red dot player. Do they still call it that? The red dot. Sure. That, that's the receiver that does transcend. Well, he only gets the ball six times a game. The red dot guy is the one that you have to have a game plan for him. You have to know where he is all the time. Every single play, you better be ready. I think back to Randy Moss. And he, it was a very simple calculation for the Vikings. Anytime he wasn't double covered, you throw it to him. And sometimes when he was, you still threw it to him. Yeah, but anytime sure. you spotted what you thought was single coverage on Randy Moss, you could see the quarterback look out there and make some kind of a, of a signal, and it was just Moss go. If it's one guy, go. We're t forget about whatever the play call is. We see Moss in single coverage, go. So you got to be ready to have two guys on the red dot guy all the time, right. which does make it, what, 9 on 10 for the rest of the offense, which is going to make, make it a, a difference, huge especially difference. if you're trying to break into Trey Lance. <laughs> No question, you know, no, no question. That's, that's what I was saying. You know, the red dot guy for all those people out there, they're going, what the hell is Mike talking about? You know, you got your laser pen, your laser pointer. Coaches, uh, hey, this guy right here, and they point the red dot at him and make circles around him nine million times. We got to watch this guy. Where is he lining up? What's he doing? So that's what the red dot guy is. And, and to your point, Debo Samuel is the red dot guy. And that's where, you know, Mike, I, I'm, I'm glad you're saying it too. It's, it's kind of what I, I started off to where this is where Debo's got power in this situation. Situation. So much of the offense and the way it's situated is, you know, around Debo and this interesting skill set and the fact that he has this power and explosiveness and the ability to go zero to sixty in two steps. And then, like you, like uh, like you were saying there, 
And and with Trey Lance, you'd want why wouldn't you want that guy? That's the offense we got Trey Lance for, right? We're gonna fake it this way, fake it that way. Oh wait, Trey Lance ran it. Oh wait, he gave it to Debo Samuel, and now Trey Lance faked running this way. Oh wait, now we did that and threw the ball over the middle, you know, to somebody else. I mean, that's that's what I would envision the 49ers offense looking like, and that's where Debo Samuel is really special. I mean, come on. Look at these plays. When you watch a Debo Samuel highlights reel, I want to just go, who else is doing some of this stuff in football? Oh, yeah. Oh, there goes your ear pads. Get out of here. Great big job. Oh, give me the ball up the middle against the Bengals. No big deal, coach. They only went to the Super Bowl. I mean, look at his legs and butt. Zero to 60. Oh, Bob. See, around the corner against one of the faster secondaries in football. We see long touchdowns against the Rams. Fastest defense in football. He's a superstar. And... uh He's he's got a right to want more money. Well, and look, I understand the teams will say we only have so many cap dollars. We got to make it work. That's for them to figure out because other teams are figuring out how to pay guys who don't do everything that Debo Samuel does. And this is one of the blessings and curses of having great players. At some point, you got to pay them. The early years of the Debo Samuel contract are over. The early years of the Nick Bosa contract are over. If you want to hold this team together, you gotta you gotta pay these guys, and especially when you're you're clinging to a twenty five million dollar albatross in Jimmy Garoppolo who just needs to go. I still, and and this is something else Peter and I disagree with, and I respect his point. Peter thinks they should squat on him indefinitely. I just don't think you bank on the Teddy Bridgewater fluke injury happening like when are you ever going to get anything for jimmy g when is he going to reduce his salary to accommodate a trade what are you going to do you're going to pay some of the salary to make it happen i i just think stubbornness gets in the way of the urgency to take care of the rest of your team and i think it would be a strong statement that we're behind trey lance that we're going to take that money and we're going to take care of our guys we had jimmy g for four and a half years the time has ended we, we don't care that we don't get any value for him in trade. It's, it's in the best interest of the team. They always hide behind that to justify whatever it is they choose to yeah. do. It's in the be- and it really is in the best interest of the team to sever ties now, to admit that you're not going to get anything of significance. It's not worth the hassle. It's not worth chewing up the cap space. Let's just move on. That would be if I was a 49ers fan. That would be what I would be hoping they would do. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you. I, th- I think the fact that the the thing that you know, I think it's highly unlikely what you're talking about for that to happen, and then highly unlikely in the fact of you know, even after coming back, okay, now he's gotten surgery and he's throwing. I, I you know, I I don't think there's going to be a team that's going to throw some huge asset package at the 49ers for a guy like Jimmy G. In fact, the more time that goes on, and I think the more people digest and dive into Jimmy G, you know, they're going to look at it and still go, yeah, he's a good player, but you know, how good is he? I don't really know. Shanahan makes life really easy on him. I mean, as easy as could be. So that's where, you know, I don't know where this, this whole thing goes for them. And, and I'm with you in the fact that it does make life a little hard for Trey Lance, you would think you'd want to start, you know, that that era and just get everybody and everything all behind him. But to your point, it seems like there was this preconceived plan already that went into place with the trade when they traded the three first round picks that they like justified in their brains that, yeah, we'll trade three first round picks to get the number three pick. 
and now we'll get one of them back because we'll trade Jimmy G and this will all work out. And it's like, well, you know, that was cool. That was a good thought then, but that's not reality now, at least not from where I stand. And I just, I, that's where it seems like the 49ers to you, to what you're saying are being a little stubborn in that department. And Debo Samuel, not the only one. We've talked extensively about DK Metcalf. A.J. Brown of the Titans is due his contract. I looked up Cooper Cup's salary. He did yeah. oh, a short-term yeah. extension, and he's at 14. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Hey, hey, and this is, again, the curse of having a great team. You got plenty of guys that deserve big money. And even if Cooper Cup would do a team-friendly deal, he's due a hell of a lot more than what he's currently getting. It'll be interesting to see when they pivot back around to him and take care of him a second time. Yeah. Plenty of guys out there. Terry McLaurin in Washington. Well, There's crickets between Washington and McLaurin about what they're going to pay him. And I know that's not the team McLuhan is currently with, but he was there not that long ago. I just wonder whether some of these teams, and you know some of them will, their attitude will be, we'll find another Terry McLaurin. If we can trade this guy and get major assets for him, let's do it. The Jets are clearly looking. I won't be surprised if one of these big-name receivers gets traded to the Jets because the Jets already have the wallet open yeah. to get Tyreek Hill. And I feel like it's just once you open it, it's, it's easy to open it again. One of these guys we've been talking about is going to end up on the Jets, I think. Yeah, well, I think you go that, and then the rumors you hear about the Jets and you know offering the, the trade for the DK Metcalf. You know, so, so that makes sense. You know, I, I'm with you. And when we were talking about Debo Samuel, I kind of wanted to bring that up. Like, I mean, I don't know. Is that going to go that way? Maybe that's where Shanahan and Lynch can get their picks back. You want to trade him to the Jets? You probably can get, you know, first and a second back. You know? That, whew, I know. But that, my God, that would be yeah. that would be something. I know. That would be something. And I wonder if they're going to, and this is a dangerous game to play, could they wait to see if they get, their next Debo Samuel their guy they in this want. year's draft. Right. In this draft. And then after the draft, we see who they have. Because, hey, Debo was a second-round pick, and we're going to do a draft later in the program of the best receivers from the 2019 draft class because it's a reminder that they're everywhere. Yeah. They get that guy that they think can play the Debo Samuel role with full tread on the tires, low contract for three years. We get some of our draft capital back. I hope they don't do it. That, that's going to be a tough sell. Got a lot of Debo Samuel fans in the 49ers fan base. No doubt. But but this is how teams view all players at all times. No one is untouchable. No one is truly untouchable. You've got your roster of players. You've got all the other players out there in the world. And when you get a chance to bring in some of the other players, some of the guys you have all of a sudden could be removed from that depth chart, sent somewhere else because we get something else in return for it. It's the chess match that is constantly being played by these teams. And I just I look at the things Kyle Shanahan has said about Debo Samuel, and I'd be shocked if he doesn't. Yeah, because it's hard to walk back what you've already said about the guy if you trade him. Yeah. That's going to be a tough sell if they would do it. But yeah, it will be. And I mean, those those are difference makers. I don't think AJ Brown because he's a lot like Debo Samuel. And what Mike Vrabel said, he made the comment like he like AJ Brown's going to be in Tennessee. Uh, I just I think they love him, what he brings to the team. So I'd be shocked if they don't work something out there. You know, the Terry McCorn thing. 
Uh, that'll be interesting to see and what direction that goes there in Washington. I, I think he's a hell of a football player, too. And, of course, his speed is rare. There's not many guys in the game that can run like Terry McLaurin, and we know Debo Samuel's an absolute beast. Uh, you know, for all those out there, you know, because I do see that too much of, oh, well, they have a contract or, you know, be patient or wait, pay patient. Like, like F off with be patient. crap. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? This, could, this, 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 this career is an average of three years. You don't have time to be patient. Get out of here. Why didn't people say when they lowered the salary cap and it didn't go up during the year of COVID, why didn't everybody, all the fans go to the owners go, just be patient. It's going to yeah. explode. The money will Keep come paying back. back. Just, it shouldn't yeah. change. Keep it going. That's what drives me. I don't understand that. Be patient. Be patient. You're only going to run over the middle and get your head knocked off 75 times this year. The other times, your shoulder will get knocked off. But just be patient. Like, F off all of you with your be patient conversation. Like, come on. This is, you got one time to strike. You're on fire. You got to go off. You got to get it now. And that, that's what Debo Samuel's looking at. And I, you can't fault him for that. If you just look at it realistically through his shoes or just as a human being, you got to give him that respect. It's one of the themes of playmakers. It's one of the reasons why I get called from time to time a bleeding heart liberal and a communist. God forbid that I advocate. Doesn't that sound like a capitalism? I thought that side would like capitalism. Yes, it is capitalism. Not not that way. No, because you know why? You're disrupting my enjoyment of football. You're threreatening the balance of my team. Those people sound communist, in my opinion. That sounds communist. I don't care who's who. How much money Debo Samuel gets? I just want him on the 49ers and see what happens. Is anytime there's a fight between player and team, yeah, the team fans wins. rush to defend the team. The players always wrong. The players always greedy. The players always out of line. The players should always be patient. As you said, get the f out of here with that stuff. Yeah, the player is the one who is putting the helmet on and the pads on and is his health on the line. And he only has so many years he can play and he doesn't have equity in the team. Oh, the players get half the money now. Yeah, that's great. The owners get half the money and all of the equity and the players have none. The players biggest earning potential of their lives is that narrow window that they play the NFL at a sufficiently high level to get paid because the moment you don't play at a sufficiently high level to get paid, you're not getting paid anymore. You're gone. They will place you with somebody else in the football machine. They're all viewed as interchangeable pieces of a football machine. The owners of that machine just keep printing money and buying super yachts and a house here and a house there and a house here and a house there. And how many freaking houses can you have? <laughs> so uh, hopefully they're all on porch where the super yacht can go and they're not landlocked. But hey, they got planes too they got boats they got planes they got trains they got everything and we and we root for them to get more and we want them to screw over in the negotiations that happen their players so there's more money left under the salary i just it just it's, it's crazy i don't get it i don't get it let's take a break the draft is 17 days away we will begin our annual i think we do it every year look at team draft needs by focusing on the afc east we'll do that when pft live continues right after this at bet 365 we don't do ordinary we believe that every sport should be epic every basket every game every point every play from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 
21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.